figure it. And that is every man for himself. When Black Friday comes, this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm-hmm. Looks okay, the world survives into another day. And see clearly now, the rain is gone. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. A number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah. Plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. I'm TJ Matthewson in for Mike Parker and John Warren. Woo, it is nasty out there. Uh, it is a skeleton crew here today at the station. Happy to still make it in here and bring you the Joe Beaver Show after we had yesterday off uh, and hopefully managed to get back home okay. It is, the main roads are okay. The rest, not so comfortable, and it's not a, like I exactly have a four-wheel drive car, so that would uh, that would be helpful. Spent a lot of yesterday making sure I could get here uh, for today's show, and I'm thankful that I have, and hopefully I can get back without getting stranded on the side of a road, so that'll be nice. I'm not a fan of snow. I can't wait for it to melt tonight. I really can't. This is uh, It's cool for about 12 hours, and then once the 12 hours are up, I'm ready to go back to normal because everything else is affected, and <laughs> I'm essentially eating rations out of my own fridge because I can't get to the grocery store. But we'll see if we can figure that out later. Here's the lineup for today. We have Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, coming up at 12.05. Wanted to talk to him about new Beaver quarterback Giovanni McCoy, who will be in that quarterback room battling with Jabari Johnson for the Beavers' starting quarterback role coming up here in the fall of 2024. That's the only guest we have on the docket today. You know, the main subject of today's show, uh, we'll get to some colors here in this first hour. Andy for Mitchell's up first. He called before the show opened, so we'll get to him here in a couple of minutes. But I wanted to lay the groundwork of something I wanted to touch on here in this this first hour especially, because of the news over the weekend and, and the coaching carousel that, that has happened over the last week and of college football, and I don't know if I necessarily realized the ripple effect of Nick Saban retiring last week that it would have on a, a lot of institutions close here to Oregon State, or formerly close, now will be in another conference next season. And then we see Kalen DeBoer leave in – Jed Fish leave Arizona to go to Washington to replace him, and now Brent Brennan, former Oregon State assistant coach, going to Arizona. I believe he signed today in this ripple effect, and now San Jose State is going to have to get a new football coach as well. And it, and it just feels it just feels weird, and uh, I could not think of any more truer statement than Dave from Tumwater continuing to echo, "Hey, like we can't get you can't get attached to coaches," and that's right. But this revenue disparity is really, man, it's it's really something. The fact that, you know, as we sit here today, and and I, and I obviously, I think of all this 
in what will happen in the future for Oregon State, finances withheld, even if the Beavers manage to land on their feet, say, in the Big 12 down the road. I mean, this revenue disparity is getting ridiculous. The fact that it's already to the point where people know that Jed Fish is going to leave Washington in two years for either Florida or the NFL. And it seems like it's certain, and his contract represents that, uh, reflects that. And it's crazy to me. It's crazy that we've reached to this point where that a major top 25 university essentially goes with a rental head coach because it knows that's it. That's all it's got. So that's weird. There's a lot to flesh out with that, and we can talk about that as this first hour goes on. Just a, just a crazy last weekend change of, of college athletics and very interested to see how it goes from here on out. Andy and Mitchell has been patient. He is on the Downward Dog phone line. You guys can call that, 541-497-5356. You can also text it. That same number on the University Honda text line. We're open for this first hour. Let's go to Andy and Mitchell. Andy, good morning. Morning, TJ. Yeah, I saw you were uh, running solo, so I didn't want to leave you hanging, and I figured it was my duty and obligation to call in. So, um with that said, I saw, yeah, your prompt you put out there on X, and yeah, I'll be honest, it's uh, it's been a satisfying four or five days here, I'd say, as a Beaver fan. I, I am, I'm, I'm enjoying what is happening around me, and of course, there's that aspect, but it, it also is just a little bit amusing in the fact that I think the sentiment from Washington and from Arizona fans, I keep seeing this all over that, okay, the system's broken, you guys. What is going on? You know, college football is dead. What are we doing? And I just have to chuckle and be like, where, where were these people four months ago? Mm-hmm. So you have, there's no and remorse from you at all? Absolutely not. And, and, I mean, even not just being a jerk, but, like, the, the lack of understanding ending, I think, um, around this topic is also a little puzzling because, yeah, Washington, you lost your coach. Yeah, Arizona, the ripple effect, you lost your coach. Oh, man, what's going on? This, it completely pales in comparison to what Oregon State just went through um, starting back in August uh, to now. Mm-hmm. It, it's not even close. And to see these fans commiserating and just, oh, man, what a bummer, like, Oh, what's what's happened to the sport we love, and where's the loyalty? It's like, you know, there, you don't get any sympathy. I mean, for one, you guys both have conferences. You're, um, you have a real schedule, and again, I, our schedule's not bad. I'll, I'll take what it is, but you also have dates on that schedule. Uh, you have a media deal. Um, you you know you have uh, your coach that left. Oh, I'm so sorry, your coach. That's a a perennial job hopper, a habitual job hopper in Galen DeBoer and Jed Fish, who have zero ties to the areas they were coaching. And I'm so sorry they left. At least it wasn't your Golden Boy alum who was a walk on Rags of Riches story. So I really just, I can't find the sympathy, DJ. There is no sympathy, but I'm going to think how, I mean, this is really going to put to test what Oregon State and Trent Brave. The, the groundwork they lay here over this coming year and, and next year as well when it comes to open jobs in the future because whether Trent likes it or not, there are going to be people that are going to come calling and there are going to be universities that will, uh, they could probably triple Trent's salary right now if they wanted to. But uh, so it's almost, I wouldn't say it's good that the Jonathan Smith 
thing happened because it was not. It sucked. It certainly sucked for, for the future. And But I think a lot of people have moved past it by now. But I'm just thinking of, of the precedent yeah. it sets in the future of there might not be anything Oregon State can do to keep a coach, period, with this disparity going forward in the future. If Washington, who I, I think I saw was offering Kalen DeBoer over $10 million and he still didn't want to stay, can't keep a coach, I, it's, it's, it, it's just the, the gap is growing. And it, 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 I, I, can't, I don't think it makes anyone feel very comfortable. And, and, and more so... I think what it does is it, it doesn't allow you to attach to anyone because I, I feel like you know, you know people want to be able to feel okay with, with coaches leaving and players leaving, but you don't want to get used to it because you still want to have favorite players, you want to have favorite people, you want to have personalities that you can attach to, and you can't do that in this system. Oh, yeah, I agree. I think you're spot on, TJ, and I think, honestly, one of the things, and this is my perspective, but that gives me salt is like the, the <laughs> I joke about it with my buddies, but Jonathan Smith is the last time I'll ever love. The last time I'll ever open my heart again. I will still be a ride or die Beaver fan. I'll still be all about it. But in a way, it is like, I, I, I was telling people this, in a way, like it all this sucked so much since August 4th. Like it has just been bad news on top of bad news on top of bad news. I mean, like we, we were you know, a shoestring away from the death penalty almost for doing nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And, but, but, but the thing is like, as time goes on, like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. College football's broken. Yeah. I wish it was different. I, I hope some changes are made for the better. And maybe if enough um, schools are getting burned then like, they, maybe this is what they need to wake up. Like what is the system? But all that said is in a way I'm kind of happy knowing what we know now, like at least we were on the front end for Oregon state and Washington state. Like I, I'm glad that we were kind of the pioneers because we've had time to settle. We've had time to make our peace to slowly build a path forward. And, and now like as a fan, nothing like in a healthy way, nothing really shakes me anymore. I am like, yeah, I know Trent Bray's an alum. That's great. And I'm stoked for Bray to be here. But if he leaves, I won't be surprised, and I don't. I won't be that upset because that's just the way it is. So in a way, like it was a little bit of a service to us of like, yeah, we won't. I don't think we'll get hurt like that again because that's the nature of the beast, and this is where we're at. And at least we've had some time to kind of sit with it and get comfortable in this crappy new landscape. So. Um, that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts on that. Is I feel so much better now than I did six or seven weeks ago. There's going to be a lot of fan bases that are going to be in for some some tough realities soon. Uh, especially, I mean, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of smaller Big Ten schools, not the new ones that just got introduced. I'm I'm thinking of the smaller Big Ten schools: Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue. It's not only are they not going to the, the, eventually the revenue is not going to get shared with them because I think that's 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 the road we're going down right now. But then they're going to have similar things happen. Because right now, a school like Purdue, who's starting next year due to make over 60 to $70 million, I think, with the Big Ten TV deal, and if they wanted to poach an Oregon State assistant away, despite Purdue and Oregon State, I think, being on the exact same level as job, uh, exact same level of job, you know, they could double 
uh, double a contract of anyone here at the university, but it's not going to be that way forever. And eventually they're going to realize that that's not a reality and that won't come back. And it's going to stink. It's going to, it's going to turn off a lot of people at the sport and, you know, long-term health wise. I mean, we keep talking about it. It's just not, it's not, it's not very healthy to, to sit in this middle ground of, of uncertainty and, and people dipping and diving everywhere, and it sucks. It, it, it just really sucks. And I think this weekend really just epitomized that at a higher level uh, after Oregon State and Washington State went through it earlier this year or earlier last year. Yeah, yeah, like I said, maybe, and maybe this will get people to finally wake up who were all just excited about their prospects and their uh, new conference and all that. And so, um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't feel so good when it happens to you. And then what I will say, uh, also a couple of quick little closing nuggets here, but what I will say last thing about this is um, I just, I feel, I feel like at a micro level for Oregon State, like you look around, you, you feel pretty good because, yeah, we, again, we don't, we don't have a conference, or, you know, it's a Pac-2, whatever, and all these other schools are perceived in a more stable position. But then you look at, Arizona's financial predicament, you're hearing about some of the issues Washington's walking through. Um, and like you said, even schools at that level. And Oregon State, you know, here they come, little engine that could, still attracting some some pretty interesting recruits in the portal and retaining some guys. And I'm glad you got you're gonna talk to the Idaho radio guy. That's a good get. Um, and and look at I mean Arizona just hired Brett Brennan, and it's like you gotta gotta feel good. Oregon State, like having the rug pulled out from under you, and you are, in a way, optics wise, like ahead of Arizona. Like I mean, you're seeing at this exact moment. I would feel that Oregon State's a more stable program. We could have had Brett Brennan six weeks ago, and we chose Trent Bray. Brett Brennan wanted the job in Corvallis, so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something to think about, too. And then just for the road, I hope you can catch on it later, TJ. But great article by Kerry Eggers yesterday um, about a lot of this stuff and diving into the, the roster and, and some stuff with Trent Bray. And then last thing is uh, D1 Baseball, who I believe is the standard for national coverage uh, for college baseball, has us at number seven in the top 25 poll. So go be excited for baseball season. Thank you for your time, TJ. All right. Appreciate the call, Andy. That's the number to call if you want to get in on this uh, Joe Beaver show here on a snowy, icy Tuesday in the Mid-Valley. You can text that same number for the University Honda text line. We have Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, coming up at 12.05. Rest of the show is open. What are your reaction? everything going on over the last week of college football and the coaching changes and and the ripple effects that it will have on the University of Washington, the University of Arizona, where are the revenue disparities at? And in the big picture, how does that affect Oregon State? I mean, it's really just a fascinating issue. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of this Joe Beaver show coming up right here on Joe Radio. Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, coming up at 12.05. TJ Matthewson in for Mike Parker and John Warren. If you're driving around today, please be safe. It is The main roads are good, uh, better than I expected, to be honest. Highway 34 is fine on the way over here. There's some ice in spots, though, so I would, uh, I would be careful, especially if you drive a two-wheel drive car like 
I do. Not the easiest experience in the world, but you can make it happen. There is supposed to be about five hours of projected snow, give or take, if you're in the area. Uh, What, 50%, meaning 50% of the area. So if you're in the area, that's going to get the five hours worth of snow. I would buckle up because there's, in some places, four days worth of untouched ice, and there's going to be some fresh snow on top of it, and that should not be fun. Hopefully most of it melts away by tomorrow. That would be Ideal. If you want to chime in, 541-497-5356 on the Downward Dog phone line. You can also text on the University Honda text line. Mostly diving into what happened over the weekend with Arizona and Washington and these coaching changes and the the precedent it sets for the rest of college football and especially Oregon State as the revenue disparity grows between all these programs. What are we going to do in the future? And I mean, how are you going to how are we going to grow these strong bonds with players, fans, and programs in the future if there's nothing to latch on to. It's, it's, it's a really interesting question and one that's going to that's gonna take some time to figure out until all the dust settles and all this realignment settles in and things take however else it's going to go in the future. So call in on the Downward Dog phone line, text in on the University Honda text line. would love to hear from you. Let's go to Dave up north in Tumwater. Dave, welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Thanks, TJ. Looks like we might be getting some of that wintry mix up this way later today. We've avoided the worst of it being north of the river. But uh, interesting topic, and I want to pick up on many of the same themes you were discussing uh, with Andy from Mitchell. Uh, I I was at church Sunday, and I ran into a friend of mine who's a Husky fan. Nice guy. I mean, he's not kind of an in-your-face guy, but he's he's enjoying the run. He had he enjoyed the run. Um, and uh, he went to the national championship game. He was all, you know, it's kind of living the moment, right? And then they lose the game, which is bad enough, but then the coach leaves. And, I, I, and, of course, church is a good place to do this, but I had to console him and tell him, you know, you'll get through this. And so, so, they, so you know, we were in the dumps in November. They were riding high. Six weeks, seven weeks later, He's in the dumps. We're beginning to feel optimistic. It's just a crazy time, DJ. It really, yeah. And if Mike, go ahead. If if Mike had been in today, I was going to suggest him. You know, I like, I like recanting and changing my mind. And I was going to suggest him. Let me test this idea out on you. Okay. I think Mike should call Softy Mahler, get Softy on, and have him talk about. What this whole run and the you know the high the highs and the lows and what all that was like and if this would be a hypothetical question I I put to Mike through you and this show, Softy, you saw what the future was like for Oregon State when you were here in November. Do you now have more sympathy for us than you did then? Since this is now a lived experience of your own. <laughs> Could I answer the question for him? Because I almost know what the answer would be. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I think he'd probably say no. But um, he, is that just too soft? He would, not, he, would, he would not come on and talk about that, you're saying. Uh, he would come on and talk about it. But if you asked him that exact question, do you have more sympathy now? I would guess no. <laughs> Yeah, just well, think, you, just think I, it because I I, I, I tuned into a show on Friday. I tuned into a show and listened as soon as DeBoer. It was Friday, right? I think DeBoer officially left for Alabama. Yeah, 
and he's on at three o'clock. So as I was leaving the station, I flipped on his show and listened, listened to a little bit. And he seemed to be talking himself through it. And uh, the message that he was saying reigned consistent with what he's always done, you know, going to the Big Ten next year. You know, this is a good program. Two different head coaches have taken this team to the playoff, played for a national championship, et cetera, et cetera. Revenue's going to go up next year, uh, I think, or at least in the future. So we're, we're good. This, like, this is good. So off of that messaging, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize what I think he's going to say, and he's usually, he's usually a little stubborn too, so that doesn't help. Well, that's a little different than the take John Canzano had in the post I saw of his. Apparently, he interviewed uh, Softy. I saw it somewhere over the weekend, maybe yesterday, and he was a, he was a, he was a little bit more down about things. But I, but I want to go to kind of one of the themes, and you just referenced it again regarding the revenue. Sure. Uh, because one of the reasons why Arizona didn't even attempt to keep fish, because as you know. They're in a huge, the school as a whole mm-hmm. is in a huge hole financially. Yeah. And I don't know what the overall picture and finances of Oregon State University, and I doubt that you do either, but I, I haven't heard anything about that. But you know, TJ, it reminds me of a piece of advice I got 50 years ago. When I was your age, not that I'm playing the, uh, the, the old uncle from Tumwater card <laughs> on you, but I was talking to a guy one time, and the numbers can change, the numbers are relative, but his point was correct. And I think this applies to college football and Andy's point about, you know, what can you do with the disparity in income? Like this, this, this guy's name was Ed. Ed told me, if you have a $50,000 a year annual income, but you have a $51,000 a year lifestyle, you're broke. Yep. <laughs> you can't afford what you're doing. And I think as, as, because things are so out of control, the expenses are ratcheting up uh, exponentially. I think there's a perception that a lot of these places are well off financially. We know Arizona is not well off financially. If you dig into the University of Washington situation with the bond, because they paid for that expansion in a high bond, a high interest rate environment, Oregon State financed its stadium in a low interest rate environment. You dig a little deeper into the situation up there, um, they're, uh, they're, they're not going to have much more revenue. Mm. In fact, TJ, I could argue, play with me a little bit on this, um, I think you could argue that for the next two-year period, Oregon State University has as much, if not more, financial latitude than the University of Washington because they're getting Pac-12 money mm. initially in the Big Ten. And we're going to have more than our usual Pac-10 allotment for the next two years, some of which could be banked going forward. There's more to talk about, but let me test your thinking on that proposition. So the number I think I saw, Dave, was $8 million in, ex- in Big Ten-related travel expenses, I think, right? Off of the 30-ish million they're going to get next year. Is that right? That brings the number down to $23, I- $22 million, given the decimal points. Correct. I yeah. believe that's correct. So yeah, you're right. They Oregon State would be in a better in a better financial situation, and we don't know how that TV deal is gonna gonna really evolve. It really is like you, I wouldn't say they played themselves because they they have a bit more of a, a stable t- television contract in the future. The two Northwest universities in, in Oregon and Washington who, who signed to the Big Ten, but 
in USC and UCLA especially, you're going to run laps around them financially. UCLA is not even the most cash rich university. They have a lot of things they got to spend as well down there in LA and they're not doing the best financially, but like even they might do have a little bit better, a better of a situation than say the university of Washington will when it comes to finances. And if you're, if you're a Husky, you know, seeing that fact that UCLA has that over you for the next six years is uh, that's pretty telling, isn't it? Yes, but even then, TJ, let's dig a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And I love the opportunity to kind of have a detailed dialogue, get a little granular here. All of that is premised, TJ, on the idea that the current Fox Big Ten contract is not only replicable, but will grow. There's no guarantee of that, TJ. In mm-hmm. fact, everything you see about the, the prominence of streaming, the big numbers, Paramount, now, Paramount Peacock had the other night. 23 uh, million. The playoff game. Yes, which is a big number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, uh, there's, uh, there's no guarantee that that downstream payday is going to be there for the University of Washington and the University of Oregon. Now, they have other means of getting around it, to be sure. Maybe more latitude with the Nike money, the Seattle corporate media, than would be than with a bail in Corvallis. But even that long stream uh, uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, TJ, I would maintain that even that's not a guaranteed deal for those schools, UW in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I so I, always, I will give Oregon the upper hand in in the the financial situation, I would say. So you, you mentioned just the, the enormity of both markets. I think the Phil Knight effect is, I mean, it's been real forever, but in, in essentially in, in this upcoming sense of these of these you know travel expenses and big 10 related expenses going forward i'm sure phil knight would be comfortable making sure the ducks don't have to worry about the 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 windfall of traveling more etc so i i think that's fine i which is why i didn't include in my last sentence i didn't include oregon along with washington in terms of well are we sure the 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 beavers are really going to have less money than them so so oregon might be uh, might be insulated from that, uh, which is interesting. One thing I was curious about, Dave, and I'm, I'm thinking about about driving to work today. I'm wondering if the Big Twelve uh, money situation is even better than what Oregon State will have. Sure, it is quote unquote stable, um, but money wise, is it would it be that much more? Not, not really. They, they, they. Um... Uh, it's just, I think it's $30 million per school or, uh-huh. uh, or something like that. But again, TJ, all of these numbers, all of these projections are an extrapolation of past numbers going forward, mm-hmm. linear TV going forward. And we just know, I mean, if anyone's paying any attention, you know that there's, there's no way of guaranteeing any of that going forward. But I just want to close, TJ, if I might just change the subject slightly. Sure. Actually pick up on another theme of Andy. Uh, from Mitchell, and that was his reference to the Eggers column, uh, which I also saw where, wherein, uh, just to tease it out a little bit more than Andy did, uh, Coach Bray is talking about having a more explosive offense, uh, the, uh, the passing game in particular, uh, than, than they've had heretofore, which is actually, if you think about it, TJ, it's kind of a telling indictment of the whole Jonathan Smith tenure, because, I mean, he was there, what, six years? And the quarterback play has been okay. 
it's been marginally better than it was. I would say marginally better. Well, maybe it, it was better than the Gary Anderson era. But uh, and you don't go back far enough, TJ. But I maintain, and this has caused me. I know I've annoyed a lot of people with my what's coming next because I, I because they've seen they saw the Jake Luton numbers, they saw the Sean Mannion numbers. I maintain we have not had a perfectly balanced offensive scheme since Sean Canfield was president. Throwing over to Miller, to uh, Joe Halahuni, Shane uh, Morales, uh, the running game with uh, Quiz Rogers and those guys. Uh, there's, been high, there's been highs and lows both offense and defense. I mean, running, I'm sorry, there have been highs and lows both passing and running. But we haven't had a perfectly balanced offensive scheme since the late aughts. And if, if Trent Bray and, and uh, Ryan Gunderson can can bring that off, um, I think the next, actually, and this goes to, to a comment Coach Bray made separately, I think the next two years are going to be very exciting. Oregon State, you know, we, we, can, be, we can be flying that pirate flag. We're, us and the Cougs, we're rogue elements. We've got the money. We've got the latitude. The only thing that's a little uh, out of sort, we've got to get that media deal tied mm-hmm. down. But if, if something breaks positive in that direction, I think the next two years, contrary to all the doom and gloom that was the mood in December, I think it's terribly exciting, TJ. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it too, Dave. I think uh, I think you guys do have a, a lot to look forward to. Unless you got anything else, I'll, I'm going to get to break here and let you go. No, that's it. You've been very generous, TJ. Thanks. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. You can call in just like him on the Downward Dog phone line. 541-497-5356, or you can text in on the University Honda text line at that same number. TJ Matthewson in for Mike Parker and John Warren. A little bit of ice on the roads, a little bit of sickness going around as well, so happy to bring you this edition of the Joe Beaver Show. John and I should be back in here tomorrow from 11 to 1 uh, for our Wednesday through Friday. Mike will be on the road as the Beavers hit the road. They'll face off with Utah on Thursday. Let's take a break. We'll continue the remainder of this first hour of the Joe Beaver Show, talking the state of college football right now, and especially the stuff going on over the weekend, and Jed Fish going to Washington, Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama, and all the really the ripple effects that come after that, and you know how that affects Oregon State, and, and how everyone just goes forward in the future. 541-497-5356, the Downward Dog phone line, University Honda text line. Back with more of the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, will join me at 12.05. At the top of the hour, we'll chat Giovanni McCoy. I do have a couple questions with him as well about how this ripple effect affects the FCS levels of college football and where he sees that going in the future. I, I, the, the message rings in my head of, I forget who brought it up, of people wondering where the innocence of college football has gone. And it, I mean, it's gone out the window with, with the television contracts and the, the, inflated, telev- the inflated coaching salaries and, and the portal and NIL and all that stuff, which has allowed it to churn and operate more like a business and it's again felt now more corporate than ever and less of the 
sort of intimate innocence factor that led a lot of people to fall in love with this sport in the 80s and the 90s, etc. And now it, it now just seems like that's gone. With it, It's hard to latch on to players and hard to latch on to programs where it feels like nobody is going to stick around long enough for people to actually care enough. And by the time someone does care, someone else will leave and go somewhere else. Then you have to start that process all over again. And it just doesn't feel right. And people might not want to put up the effort it will take to, to do that again. But at the FCS level, I think a, a caller or texter brought up the point. Again, can't remember who it is about the Montana game they held in the semifinal up there in uh, up there in Bozeman. They play in Bozeman, right? I'm pretty sure. Uh they play in, in, in Bozeman and the, the snow factor and the care factor and all the alums that would show up there and game on ESPN and how, how much everyone cared and camped out for that. And it was awesome. It was amazing. And people were like, why can't we have this at every level? <laughs> Where did it go? And I think that's what a lot of people just want. And a reason a lot of people love college football so much is because of that, not because of the, the NFLization of it. And so I think that'll be an interesting point to, to bring up with Chris when we get to the top of the hour here in 20 minutes. You can call in 541-497-5356. The Downward Dog phone line is open for this first hour. You can also text on the University Honda text line. Harold and Sandy is called in. We'll go up north to Sandy. Harold, good morning. Good morning. Uh, You and Dave were talking about the finances of these schools, and I read a blurb uh, this morning online that the uh, uh, trustees, the University of California, wanted an, uh, an audit of the California Athletic Department. Mm-hmm. Which I know so is very much cool. in debt. Yeah, so that's going to be real interesting, especially on the travel time. So I know Cal is very proud of their Olympic sports and uh, what it's going to put through those athletes having to travel to God only knows where back east. Mm-hmm for periods of time, mm-hmm. like if they're going to play Maryland or whatever, it's going to be kind of interesting as far as I'm concerned about about the money. Yeah, Stanford and... Cause, cause that, you're talking about the money, and, it's, and that drives everything. If those people are having to go, go deeper into debt for travel. <laughs> yeah, I, the... You bring up a good point there. I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought up UC Berkeley because uh, a, a lot has been made about Arizona somehow misplacing a quarter of a billion dollars, and now they're in a huge financial windfall, and they couldn't afford to couldn't afford to really offer Jed Fish a contract, weren't willing to because they didn't think it would, it would be good, at least from what I what I read online. But I think UC Berkeley's like three hundred million dollars in debt. I think that's what I saw, and that, that number's not going to go away with the fact they're going to get a third of their television revenue now with the ACC, and oh, for however long that contract stays in place with, with other legal proceedings going on. And then with the travel you mentioned on top of that, the, the audit might be necessary, and it, it stinks for all those student-athletes that you know get to go perform at an extremely high level in, in Olympic sports, but... I think it's this way for a lot of universities that don't have the, the biggest endowments and, and biggest fundraising efforts around that it's really hard to, to finance all these sports if, if you don't have an, an immense financial backing. I think that's a problem they're going to run into. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good point. Well, yeah, and the other thing about the, how long will the TV, how, you were talking about how long would the gift horse look with from TV. What happens if the 
Pac-2 starts going after Fox and ESPN on a, a, for destroying the Pac-12. You know, that's antitrust mm-hmm. deal. That was brought up way back when this whole thing started by that Alan Fair. That, that could get real interesting. It could. Uh, I will say, luckily for the conferences, those numbers are all written in stone, so I don't think that would affect how much money they got. Unless the the contract... Unless the contract sort of fizzled out like all of these regional sports network deals have in, in Major League Baseball and across uh, you know the NBA and the NHL too, or or the Bally the Bally Sports essentially disintegrated and said, yeah, we're just gonna have to bow out of these contracts because we don't have any money. That could that could be a, a thing in the future. Harold, though, if I were to guess, I'm gonna guess that the a lot of teams would be out of the ACC television deal before that actually gets to that point. I'll say. Well, yeah, no, I know that, but, yeah. but 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 Big Ten money. What happens if some of the money starts drying up that Fox has? Well, then it's going to be kind of hard. Then, then it's going to be hard to promise. And I think the most important thing is that six years from now, when these contracts expire, the money might go down because there won't be the money to pay them. Oh yeah, everyone everyone's yeah, talking so about could... this hundred million dollar potential earnings in the future from these Big Ten and SEC schools. Are you sure about that? Hundred million per? I don't think so. Well, until, until you see it in the bank, yeah, <laughs> it ain't there. Not in this current state. I don't think ESPN and Fox can afford to pay. What would it be? Thirty? It would be thirty uh, something schools that much money. That's that's not feasible. Well, I I know ESPN sure as heck can't do it because no. they're they're drying up. They're talking about having to get sold to somebody else. Yeah. Like well, Apple. I, will, I will say ESPN, though, uh, is I, I, th- I saw there's the report this weekend that the NFL is looking to buy a stake in there. And if we're talking about stable business, that's 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 it right there. And Oh, yeah, that would be. Mm-hmm. But still, you yeah, know, it would be a if the, if the NFL buys in, it'll be a whole separate unit. It now, won't be having anything to do with the college side. Now, I actually... Harold, uh, and if you got anything else, I actually kind of want to dive into that NFL thing a little bit. So if you got anything else, okay. go for it. No, that's it. Thank you for listening to me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for calling. 541-497-5356. If you want to call in on the Downward Dog phone line, you can text that number at the University Honda text line. Let me know what you think about this. I'm glad Harold brought that up because the report came out this weekend. It was reported by the New York Post that the NFL is looking to buy a stake in ESPN. So there's a lot, a lot taken of that. And I think the main point I saw of that was, well, now ESPN can't cover the league fairly, which you could be entirely correct. That, that would be it. But how does that affect college football? Because I think we got a text last, on last week's shows is why it was either a, t- a text on our text line or somebody said it. It might have been Chip Kelly. I, I can't remember, ex- but it made it a point of, of what's a sound way for college football to go forward. Well, it's the NFL forking up some money to buy teams and operate a feeder league, which we would hate. Uh, I mean, it really would. It would just take away from everything that college football would be. But it would make things stable, for sure, because you would have a governing body controlling the sport. And one step towards doing that would be the NFL also owning the distribution of the games in the most popular conference in college football, which is the SEC. So if the NFL eventually buys a stake in ESPN and eventually, say, ESPN's finances continue to decrease, 
well, what if the NFL takes control of ESPN and its finances and the network and, and all the, all these other things as, as an option to then go look at what college football is right now and say, hey, we want to have a more controlling interest in this. Okay, well, ESPN itself, when the SEC media rights are back up in six years from now, when they have to renegotiate with the Southeastern Conference, this time from now, well, ESPN itself couldn't afford to pay that, but what if the NFL wants to pay that? Well, that's certainly a, a, a door open to college teams getting owned by the NFL or college programs being owned by the NFL. I mean, this sport has a chance to look very different in 2030 when these contracts are up. And the, the things weren't really in place to make it happen until you know, recently, I don't, I don't think it's an impossible thought to have that the NFL could do something with owning ESPN as they go forward. It, 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 it didn't seem as, as logical or didn't seem like something they had any vested interest in serious vested interest until I would say the reports that they were interested in ESPN. And once again, once they own the distribution of it, then, you know, things start going going on from there. And eventually, they might want to own the entire model of football, right? In, in, the, in America, they might, might want to. They want to own all of the, all of the steps. It's like, a, it's like a factory wanting to own the, uh, I don't know a good example of this, pick any mega factory, mega corporation that wants to own every means of distribution of its product. It's like, okay, we want to be able to sell all of these, but we also want to be the manufacturer of them. We want to be able to own all the shipping of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like some, let's say some Amazon products. We want to be able to own every aspect of this product's distribution and, and flow through our economy to get it to our top level, which we're going to profit off the most, which is the NFL, which drew 23 million viewers on a streaming service on Saturday night. And a lot of people were like, oh, I'm never watching you. <laughs> never watching on a streaming service, and they still got 23 million people. That doesn't include everyone who didn't pay for it and pirated the game instead online. Incredible number, which is a whole different conversation of people saying, oh, Oregon State could have made that work with, with the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 could have made that work with a streaming deal with Apple. It is possible. People will pay for it. But it, we're getting to a point now where that might be it. I mean, it really might be it. We could get to a point where I, not only could they own the own college football or at least the top level of college football, but I don't know how much of a stake. I do believe they have a stake in the smaller leagues, leagues and, and the Rocks version of the XFL and the USFL on those feeder leagues and players that will play on those teams and eventually end up on practice squads as well. And it very well could trickle down to the top levels of college football as well. I will give some people here reassurance. I, I, I guess I don't know if it's reassurance, but something, something of the, of that fact is that I don't know if Oregon state would be a, a program that would be, would eventually be down the line to be purchased by the NFL. I, I don't, I don't see that as, I don't see that as a reality. But think of it if you're one of the 32 NFL owners, if you look at a program like Alabama, and we're not talking about the whole athletic department. We're talking about one program. How much money does the University of Alabama football 
program make and how much money would it make if you could somehow find a way to separate it from the university itself and break it off into its own entity. Because my prediction was that these top 35, 32, 30 teams in college football will break off, no longer be associated with school besides the name, and can you just play football and make money? Because that's the most efficient way to do this thing. So why wouldn't an NFL owner look like this and their billion-dollar valuations and their franchises that are more valuable now than ever and look at an Alabama, uh, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, any of that, and say, wow, that's a good money-making opportunity. Why don't I get in on that? And that team can be right below the NFL team that will play on Sundays and the, the, the Farm League can play on Saturdays. Looks like a pretty good, pretty good business investment. I just don't, uh, I don't know how far that is away, but it makes sense, doesn't it? It, it, it makes sense that there, there's enough wealth at the top of this country to, to sort of make that happen. And instead of relying on crowdfunding from boosters, you could actually have ownership, have someone in charge of everything. No university president, no athletic director. No, you're just going to have a football team that plays games under the flag of the University of Alabama or Michigan or Ohio State or Oregon or Washington or any of these schools. But instead of it being either a private institution, which private institutions might be a little bit different than public institutions, you could have private ownership, I guess, or you know, public institutions are again different than different than private. Instead of under the state government, you would be under one person, and wouldn't that make things a little bit more simple? I don't know. That's that's going to be an interesting topic that we can uh, get into a little bit more in the latter half of our second hour. Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, will join me here at the top of the hour. Uh, TJ Matthewson here in for John Warren and Mike Parker. Some not-so-great road conditions outside. A little bit of sickness going around as well. So we'll hope to bring you a full show tomorrow. John and I here in studio at 11 o'clock. A couple texts coming in on the text line as we get here to the top of the hour. Uh, Texture asked, no John Warren. Page was frozen out of the station. Had to go to the back door. Yes, uh, so there's about four inches of ice, I think, blocking our front door, and it's a little, a little difficult to, <laughs> a little di- difficult to, to pry out of. Especially now, it's also shaded. That does not help. I had to pry some ice out of my driveway yesterday just to get here today. Not easy for any of us. I see people walking by outside our station windows, and they're walking very carefully because <laughs> there's still a lot of ice out there. So here's a text from a six two six. No, oh, Bill in Montana. Thank you, Bill. UW has a provision in their agreement with the Big Ten that allows them to borrow $10 million a year against future revenue to cover travel costs. Uh, see a substack thing for a copy of the agreement. So that's interesting, Bill. Thank you for that text. So that is also future uh, revenue, which, again, are we sure that future revenue is going to be there? That's going to be a good question to ask. Chris King coming up after this break. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Siri. Uh-huh. Take me to the Joe Beaver Show. 1240 Joe Radio. One option is Joe Crow Reservoir in Oregon. Is that the one you're looking for? No. Which the Joe Beaver? The Joe Beaver Show, 1240 Joe Radio. On it. It's a destination people have sought for generations. Are we near Oregon? Take my wagon train to the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Be sure to come prepared. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated too. Right on the arm. And with the proper gear. Shall we select our masks? And even in this exacting age. Everything you say comes back. 
back to bite you. Come ready to contribute, even if your own son has his doubts. Dad and his mysterious phone calls. <laughs> Remembering what a call to Joe can do. Those phone calls put you through college. As you draw closer, note the surrounding characters. And know this, John and Mike will celebrate when you get here. Arrived at the Joe Beaver Show, 1240 Joe Radio. Into the second hour of the Joe Beaver Show here on 1240 Joe Radio, 93.7 FM, and streaming nationwide on KEJOAM.com. TJ Matthewson in for Mike Parker and John Warren. If you're listening while you're driving around, be safe out there. Roads are a wee bit icy. Uh, we expect to be back with a full Joe Beaver Show tomorrow, uh, myself and John Warren, when Mike hits the road. Good first hour talking about what the current state of college football is with the hirings over the past week at Washington and Arizona. And now we're going to zoom into a little bit of the Beavers roster and a new quarterback in Giovanni McCoy, Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com was very high on Giovanni saying he could potentially start here in the fall. And why don't we talk to someone from Giovanni's former world the voice of the Idaho Vandals. It's Chris King, now just completed his third full season as the voice of the Vandals. Chris joins us here on the Downward Dog phone line. Chris, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you taking some time. Uh, how is the ice conditions up there? Because, you know, here in Corvallis, I would say people are totally used to driving around on, on a sheet of ice. Do you guys have a little bit more, uh, little bit more practice with that? Yes, you know, I'm looking out the window right now, and uh, there's still plenty of snow on the ground. Uh, we're supposed to get some more here on the Palouse uh, in the next, I think, 24 to 48 hours. I'm hitting the road with basketball. Uh, nowhere tropical, though. Uh, we're going to Idaho State and uh, Weaver State coming up. So it looks like it'll be uh, a little better where we're heading on the road. But, uh, yeah, it feels like the middle of January, at least here in the Moscow-Pullman area. Chris King joining us. He is the former voice of the Tri-City Just Devils, a 2017 NSMA Idaho Sportscaster of the Year in his third full season as the voice of the Vandals. Okay, so I wanted to bring you on today to talk about Giovanni McCoy. I would imagine he's going to be one of the three favorites to start for Oregon State when it comes down to the fall. So you've been there to watch Giovanni come into the Idaho Vandal program and really just light up from the beginning. He, he won the Jerry Rice Award for the FCS Freshman of the Year uh, two seasons ago, and then last season he was a first-team All-Big Sky. What was it like when, when you got to call the games of Giovanni there at Idaho? I mean, what kind of guy is he? Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed my time uh, busy with Giovanni and really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, a little bit kind of on just the background of his journey. You know, not a lot of offers out of high school. Ended up at the University of Idaho, recruited by the previous staff at the University of Idaho, Paul Petrino, and was there for Paul Petrino's last year, which was the fall of 2021. And due to some injury issues that year, uh, he ended up ha playing as a freshman, a true freshman in the fall of 2021. And you know, his senior year of high school was not a normal senior year because of COVID. Uh, so really kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool. And he played against some tough opponents. The two games that stand out uh, were Montana and Eastern Washington. Both were really strong teams that year. So he played in three games total his true freshman year. 
in uh, the fall of 2021. And, you know, the, the numbers certainly not flashy from that season, but I thought the first thing that stood out to me was his toughness. I mean, he was in a very difficult spot, and uh, he definitely showed his toughness that a true freshman year when he was thrown out there uh, and, again, was under duress, uh, went up against some really good teams, and was a true freshman. Uh, I thought his toughness was really on display. So there's the coaching staff change at Idaho where Paul Petrino was let go, the Vandals bring in Jason Eck, and it's kind of a wide-open race at that point. Uh, but I think the case could have been made going into his redshirt freshman year, uh, the fall of 2022, that he was either the second most likely or I think maybe heading into fall camp, the third most likely person uh, to win that job. There was C.J. Jordan who was around, who was you know, maybe a little more highly touted out of high school, uh, you know, a high, more highly ranked recruit. And then uh, Jason Eck had brought in a quarterback, Jabori Gibbs, who he had worked with at South Dakota State. But uh, Javani won the job. He emerged as the guy. The Vandals kept it kind of tight to their chest going into the Washington State game, which was the opener. And Javani was the starter. It wasn't you know, announced until he trotted out on the field at Martin Stadium. And, and Idaho was in that game, had a chance to win it. And then the next week at Indiana, the Vandals were up 10 to nothing on Indiana. And that led to his big redshirt freshman year when he won the Jerry Rice Award, which goes to the top freshman at the FCS level. And then last year, or well, really last year, I guess this fall, uh, his last season with Idaho, uh, another strong season, statistically, you know, not as great as the year before, uh, but certainly a lot of toughness. Uh, it's got uh, it's got a really good arm, and uh, you know, excited to see what he can do. You talk about uh, you know where he is in the quarterback race. I know I personally will be keeping a close eye on uh, what's going on there in Corvallis. I know Vandal fans will uh, just to see how this next step of his career goes. Just interesting to see uh, if he emerges as the starter at Oregon State and uh, what's in store for him in his future. Chris King joining us, the voice of the Idaho Vandals. What did the Idaho offense ask him to do? You know, I think they kind of tailored a, a lot to, to his strengths. He had a great receiver. He had a, I would say at the FCS level, Idaho had the best group of receivers last year. The top receiver was a guy named Hayden Hatton, and Hayden Hatton broke the Vandal single season and career touchdown record. Uh, he had a touchdown in the Hula Bowl uh, just this last Saturday. So a guy that, uh, you know, has aspirations and everyone in Moscow hoping that he can go on and have success in the NFL. So, he had a really strong uh, group of weapons. Maybe this year more so, the Vandals were able to lean on their running game more, uh, where Idaho was more, as opposed to the, the hunter, they kind of emerged as more of the hunted uh, from his redshirt freshman year when he won the Jerry Rice Award uh, to his next year. Also had a really strong running back in Anthony Woods. Woods also transferring. He ends up now in Utah. Uh, so McCoy and Woods, two guys uh, moving on and, you know, I think we're all trying to make sense of this whole new college football world and college football landscape where, uh, you know, the Idaho Vandals were a team that uh, a number of the top players, you know, went on to what are bigger programs. Uh, another guy went to Cal, another guy went to Cincinnati, another guy went to Central Florida. So uh, I guess it's better if you're Idaho, you teams want your guys. But, you know, it's just different where these were players in the past that you'd be used to seeing them play their whole game in their Vandal careers. But he throws a pretty ball. Uh, he, you know, maybe didn't work the middle of the field as much, maybe not as heavy on tight ends, but he had these great guys on the outside and his wide receivers, Hayden Hatton, Therese Trainer, Jermaine Jackson, those guys who are uh, really strong weapons for him. 
the last two years. And, you know, his legs were a weapon that McCoy doesn't necessarily have the, the overwhelming size where you look at and you think that, okay, for sure, yeah, this is the size of a quarterback at 6'2", 185. But his legs were definitely a plus, and uh, they were used to the Vandals' benefit, to his benefit, um, you know, not necessarily leaned on all the time, but when the situations came about where Idaho needed a first down, uh, that having his mobility uh, was, a, was a very big weapon, and that was something the Vandals did lean on a little bit more this last year. Is he more of a run, uh, use his legs to throw or, or use his legs to run? I would say when he's used his legs, I mean, there, there are times where he will use it to run, where he can tuck and run, and there were some design runs. But I thought his elusiveness and his ability to deal with pressure, while I you know, mentioned how strong uh, the wide receivers and his weapons were, it was a younger offensive line. So I think back, Idaho played Cal this year in Berkeley and had a, uh, you know, a multiple-score lead early in that game, ultimately lost to, the, to Cal. But in that game, McCoy was very elusive. And there's been times where he has not necessarily had all day in the pocket, uh, but his ability to... Uh, you know, move around pressure and not necessarily always tucking and running, uh, but be able to, to buy time uh, was definitely a strength of his. So, in it, you know, I do mention his size. One thing that will be interesting will be, you know, the last two years he, he did miss a game with an injury. So it happened to be uh, both of the last two years against Idaho State, uh, he was out injured. So, you know, when you don't have that prototypical size, you know, you do maybe wonder about the durability. And he, you know, only missed one game. Uh, but, uh, and you know, this last year he did play injured some, too, at times. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Idaho, he did everything that you could have asked for uh, in his three years with the program and really these last two years where he emerged. And, uh, you know, I think even from the Idaho perspective, it felt kind of out of nowhere where he became the Jerry Rice Award winner and then in turn one of the top, uh, top quarterbacks at the FCS level. So was it a shock, Chris King joining us, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, was it a, was it a shock when, when he decided to leave? Well, you know, is anything a shock to anyone who covers college football right now? That, that probably, would be my, <laughs> probably uh, not. my thought. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, I think, you know, he's someone who had a lot of success at the University of Idaho. So, and, and Idaho has produced a lot of good players over the years. And specifically, we could talk the quarterback position, guys like, uh, John Freeze and Doug Nussmeyer and Scott Linehan. I could go on and on, and you know I, I'm sure uh, some of those names are familiar to, to you and your listeners, and I could probably go on with some who are uh, great at the University of Idaho that you know maybe more hardcore fans would recognize. So you know you look at the record book and you think, oh, is he going to end up in the record book? You know, surpassing all of these greats and some of them going on, of course, to have success on Sundays and in the NFL. But it's just kind of a whole different world and. Uh, shoot, not not only were Idaho and the FCS kind of, I would say, for Idaho, it's a you know a, a upper tier team in the Big Sky, and and has emerged these last couple of years as a you know upper tier team at the entire FCS level. You know what it, what does that mean moving forward? I don't exactly know. As I mentioned, you know, I guess it's good that uh, that uh, you'd rather have guys who go on to bigger levels, and no one wants your guys. Same with kind of coaches. Is, I'm sure it's a bummer that uh, Jonathan Smith, you know, for Oregon State fans moved on. Uh, you'd rather have that than, than letting someone go. And actually, that does remind me of another, uh, another statement that Jason Eck made. So Jason Eck, the Idaho coach, uh, he was on the staff at the University of Idaho back in the mid-2000s with Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith used to be an assistant coach at the University of Idaho. And, and Eck brought up that he definitely stayed connected 
uh, over the years. And he brought up a phrase talking about Giovanni McCoy that he learned from Jonathan Smith is what he said was emotional stability. You need your quarterback to have emotional stability. And, you know, Giovanni, a guy, you know, very even keel, very strong demeanor. Uh, not to say he's not emotional, just that, you know, you feel like he's someone who, you know, has that same demeanor, whether things are going really great or really bad, which I think is a plus. And I think that was the, the line from Jason Eck that he got from Jonathan Smith was a plus. And he talked about how Giovanni has really good emotional stability, which is a line uh, that he learned from Jonathan Smith. So that's another phrase that I would use in a plus uh, for Giovanni McCoy is emotional stability. But to kind of circle back to your original question, you know, I don't know. I, I do think Idaho is in a good spot. Uh, the backup quarterback, when Giovanni did not play this year in the game against Idaho State, and that was a big game for Idaho, needing to have that, uh, to have a shot, and they ultimately got a bye for the FCS playoffs. The backup quarterback came in and uh, tied the program record for most passing touchdowns in a game, and he did it just in the first half. So, you know, it's, it's a spot where Idaho does have some depth, but, you know, you see what McCoy did. Uh, I think Vandal fans are very appreciative. And, uh, you know, it's exciting to see what, uh, what he will do and, uh, you know, how it works in the future at a level like Idaho and guys who have success, if they stay, if they move on, we'll, we'll find out. But uh, it does feel like college football, the landscape's on a hyperspeed right now. And we're all just learning as we, as we go along these last few years. Chris King joining me here on the Joe Beaver Show. So, Chris, if a fan looked at the box score and they saw Giovanni's freshman season, he threw for 27 touchdowns, and then this past season, his redshirt sophomore season, the production dipped down to just 15 touchdowns. Why was that? I would say that he was leaned on to throw more that redshirt freshman year. The Vandals had the emergence of Anthony Woods as a, as a running back who got a lot of touchdowns this last year. Uh, that that played a part. But, uh, you know, he did miss the one game each year uh, injured, but he played one more game this year because Idaho went further in the FCS playoffs. You know, I would say you maybe factor in a couple of trick plays where uh, uh, it wasn't McCoy throwing a touchdown pass. Uh, so maybe that number is not as large as it might look on paper. It might be closer, maybe even things out, maybe to a seven or eight touchdown difference. I do think that, you know, there were times where if you probably compared his play uh, from this last year to his redshirt freshman year, you'd probably give the nod at times slightly to his redshirt freshman year. But he also was banged up and, and played banged up four multiple games, uh, which you give Grim credit for doing that and, and gutting it out uh, when Idaho uh, when needed him out there. And, uh, you know, we're making a run and looking to be in a good spot not only to make the playoffs, but Idaho, the FCS playoffs, the top eight teams get a bye, which really sets you up for potentially making a deep run. And uh, so it certainly did his part to, to help make that possible. And, you know, Oregon State is interesting from the Idaho perspective for more than one reason. Thomas Ford, who is the running backs coach, also the special teams coordinator, for the University of Idaho these last two years is now on the staff at Oregon State, and he did a phenomenal job at Idaho. I think Anthony Woods, this running back we're mentioning, is now at Utah. Uh, Thomas Ford gets a lot of recruit, uh, credit for recruiting him. He was under the radar and then helping to develop him at Idaho. So there's, uh, there's multiple connections with uh, guys who are in the building at the Kibbe Dome this last year at the University of Idaho to uh, the guys who are now down in Corvallis. Last question on Giovanni McCoy, uh, or more specifically on the Idaho offense he ran. What kind of scheme was it? You know, it was it, the, the lineage of the Idaho program, for those who are kind of following football closely, is, is a, kind of South Dakota State is where things uh, came from on the offensive side. That's where Jason Eck came from, uh, who's the head coach. The offensive coordinator, Luke Schleisner, came from there. And so, I mean, 
very uh, ball control heavy. So some of those numbers are even more impressive because he had to be super efficient because Idaho the last two years has been one of the top teams in the FCS when it comes to time of possession. This is not a no-huddle offense. This is a team that huddles up. This is a team that takes their time, and they're trying to grind down defenses with their execution and get their defense on, you know, on the other side of the ball to play well. So I will say that, uh, and that does kind of bring up a good point, too. This is not a no-huddle offense. This is not a team that's going to throw the ball a million times in a game. Uh, this is where you really are, have to be efficient uh, in your opportunities, and Giovanni McCoy uh, was that uh, really for the most part for Idaho. I'd say this last year, there's probably still meat on the bone for Idaho. They lost in the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs, probably could have gone beyond the quarterfinals, and then the semifinals would have been really tough. They would have run into eventual champion uh, South Dakota State. But uh, in that game, and I guess maybe this is just the new way of the world, that game when Idaho played Albany in the quarterfinals, Albany's quarterback has transferred to Miami, and now Giovanni McCoy is now at Oregon State. So it was a good uh, quarterback battle uh, in, that, in that game. Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, joining me for just a couple more minutes here on the Joe Beaver Show. So that's a good, very good transition. You, you mentioned the two quarterback, the uh, two quarterbacks in in that quarterfinal game now transferring to the Power Five level. How do people at the FCS level feel about the future of FCS college football? I think overall. Pretty strong. I mean, I think we could, I could, uh, I could really binge her here coming up. But uh, to try to put it succinctly, I'll say, in Idaho has a more unique journey than than anyone at the FCS level, uh, specifically because Idaho was an FBS school for so many years, and then it was uh, off the top of my head five, six years ago when Idaho then dropped back down to the FCS to the Big Sky. And as you might imagine, at first that you know was a tough pill to swallow, but with Jason Eck coming in and the success that the Vandals have had. Uh, that feels like that's in the rearview mirror now, and everyone's excited to just uh, have a lot of success and to have wins and to have outstanding players like this. You know, the FCS level, we will see. I mean, I don't. It doesn't feel like this hyperspeed change that we're talking about is necessarily done and completely settled. I'm assuming folks in Corvallis, and I'm talking to you right now in Pullman. Uh, and hope folks here in Pullman hope that the changes aren't ending, that, you know, this isn't their ultimate landing spot, that there are more changes that potentially benefit Oregon State and WSU, and then what in turn is the trickle down to the FCS level. So do things stay the, the absolute same? Uh, we'll find out if that's the case. The top of the FCS is pretty good uh, with Idaho, you know, being a team that's kind of on the cusp of maybe being tier number one, but kind of tier below. You've got the Dakota schools, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, even North Dakota, South Dakota are pretty good in the big sky outside of Idaho. Uh, you've got the Montana schools that, that really kind of stand out. Um, but if that trickle-down effect happens, you know, more so, if we're kind of playing this out, if, you know, if WSU and Oregon State rebuild the Pac-12 and take the best of the Mountain West, what does that mean to the teams that are considered the bottom tier of the Mountain West? Is there... Does the best of the FCS move up with what's considered the bottom of the FBS at some point? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do things stay the absolute same? I don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball to look into. I think, you know, for Idaho, it's just really nice that we have an outstanding coach in Jason Eck, and the team has had a lot of success the last two years, and it feels like it's on an upward trajectory. But uh, I know I'm sure on, on, on this show uh, there's been a lot of talk about what, what the future is like at the Power 5 level and what that means and now kind of rebuilding uh, football on the West Coast in conference realignment. Well, you know, a lot of that talk is, is happening at the FCS level. It just is, what's the domino effect? Because 
It's not going to start at the FCS level. It's going to trickle down to the FCS level. Uh, but we will find out as, uh, as time kind of unfolds here. How much revenue does the university get from television? You know, I don't think it's a ton. I think it's more of an exposure thing than, mm-hmm. than a revenue thing. I think there is some, and I don't, I, I'm not professing to be an expert on this, but I, you know, in my understanding, it, it is some, but it's not, it, it's, it's a little bit almost more about the exposure. For example, Idaho this last year uh, twice had games on ESPN2. It's a pretty big deal. And the, the viewership, especially for the first game against Montana, Idaho played uh, Montana on ESPN2. It kicked off at 7.30 Pacific time. Uh, you know, that, that had pretty good viewership numbers, too. And that's a, you know, that's a big thing for a program like Idaho or a program like Montana to help, you know, further uh, show off and to tell, you know, have, tell recruits, tell players that, hey, we are on ESPN2 a couple of times a year. And the second game was uh, a little bit later on in the playoffs. So the Big Sky gets, uh, for sure, I believe it's two linear games a year on one of the ESPN channels. And that's kind of even a big deal for a school at the Big Sky level, whether it's ESPN2 or ESPNU. As you know, there's a difference there. And mm-hmm. uh, the ESPN2 game uh, that Idaho had was one of the two, and they both ended up being on ESPN2. So I think that could potentially grow for a school like Idaho in the future if the Big Sky commits to maybe having more of the unique kickoff windows, which uh, you know folks in the Pac-12 know, uh, know all about. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it is huge, like this overwhelming – amount of media revenue though i think there's some i think that kind of the big thing that goes with it is uh is the exposure and being able to be on a uh, on one of those bigger channels last thing chris uh, we've had a lot of our listeners and i've seen a lot of sentiment online that i'm sure you've seen as well that people are kind of kind of sick of what the top level of college football has become it, it's to it's too corporate the bowl games are boring they're in soulless NFL stadiums, et cetera, et cetera. And what everyone wants to go back to and what I've seen a lot of people talk about is that semifinal game that Montana played uh, in, in their home stadium and, and the environment there what was great. And people were like, wow, this is like this is what college football is. Do you have a pitch to the general fan who, uh, especially here in Corvallis, who are almost all Oregon State fans, but want some other college football to watch? What's the pitch for FCS? It's like, hey, this is the, the innocence of college football you've been looking for. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of Oregon ties on the state, are, are on the University of Idaho. This team has recruited the state very well, and that quarterback that I mentioned who's now going to step up is Jack Lane from Lake Oswego. I believe he was uh, – uh, I can double-check this real quick, but I know he was very highly touted – uh, in high school, he was the 2021 Oregon Gatorade Player of the Year. So that's what I was going to say, and I just wanted to confirm that. So uh, these are guys from the, the footprint of the Northwest. These are a lot of guys on teams like Idaho and Eastern Washington and the Montana schools and, you know, even Portland State that are, you know, from from high schools that uh, folks that are in, you know follow Pac-12 football in the Northwest are familiar with. You know, I would say going into this year, I would have made that that pitch to you full-throated, and I still make that pitch of, uh, close to full-throated. The only thing that, you know, my mind is still wrapping itself around is that the top players don't stay because it's not, and I will say this with a, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to say this adamantly, it's not that guys at this level are getting coaching that doesn't set them up for the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now it's hard to see because, and you can't blame guys, and, I, you know, I don't know the specifics of Giovanni's situation, but presumably there was NIL money, and that, you know, helps to, to tip the scales, and I'm not blaming anyone at all for, for an opportunity to, to make some more money. But 
you know, these guys, you would be like, hey, this is kind of what you think of college football. This is these guys come here, they build a program together, they're there for four or five years together, and they have all this sort of success. These are guys mostly from the Pacific Northwest who grow together. And, you know, I could name a lot of outstanding uh, former Idaho players that have had success uh, in the NFL. We could talk about the big sky. We could talk about Cooper Cup. You know, I had a conversation with Mark Schlereth not that long ago. Myself and Jason Eck recorded one of our podcasts with him and, you know, went on to win multiple Super Bowls, now having a lot of success for decades and decades as a broadcaster called Games on on Fox. And he flat out told us that my best friends in the world are the guys I went to the University of Idaho with. So it is kind of hard for me to see that being lost potentially where some of the guys, you know, move on after a year or two or three years uh, to bigger programs when they would have just stayed together before. But I, I can't blame them. So my pitch would be it's outstanding football. There's so much passion and there's great tradition, especially at the top levels of the big sky and the top levels of the FCS. But, you know, whether or not those, those best players from these programs stay around for more than a year or two, I guess we're going to find out because this is the first year where that's truly has felt like it's happened. And uh, is that the new normal or are we going to have an overcorrection? Uh, I don't know. But uh, like anything with college football right now, I, we just buckle up and uh, wait to see how it all goes. Chris, that was awesome. Uh, really, really awesome insight. Uh, really appreciate your perspective on things. Giovanni and then stuff at the FCS level uh, as well. Have a good road trip. Appreciate you jumping on with us, and uh, we'll connect down the road in the future. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, perfect. That's Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, talking about new Oregon State quarterback Giovanni McCoy. Let's take a break. More of the Joe Beaver Show back after this on Joe Radio. Super thankful that Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, nice enough to join me here on the Joe Beaver Show. T.G. Matthewson sitting in the chair for Mike Parker and John Warren. We should be back to normal tomorrow, and hopefully all the snow is gone by then. It'll make a commute to work a little a little bit easier. I'm the uh, <laughs> the five <laughs> the five hours of of snow that's supposed to happen this afternoon before it should melt. Hopefully, a lot of it overnight. Should help, but hopefully it's not not too much. I hope I hope so because I'm just telling you, Nissan versus not really built for that kind of thing. Let's get to the University Honda text line. You can text in five four one four nine seven fifty three fifty six, or you can give us a ring in the next commercial break four nine seven five three five six on the Downward Dog phone line. Rest of the show is open. Andy and Mitchell following up his call from earlier in the show. Was like me. He listened to the first two hours of Softy and 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 Dick Fane's podcast. It says was a beautiful evening listening to them. Fane said he didn't like the transactional nature of college football, and Softy Softy said he felt like something had been stolen from him. I actually laughed out loud. Basketball game wasn't that bad either, as he mentioned he was watching the women's basketball game in the background. Also, sounds like McMillan and Fafita are staying at Arizona. I just saw that, too. If that's true, the dogs are in trouble. So let's chalk up what's up for the University of Washington right now. So, head coach Kalen DeBoer leaves on Friday. He's gone. Takes a lot of their assistants with him. Washington, in return, hires Jed Fish with... I don't know if they were expecting it. I'm sure they hoped that Noah Fafita and 
McMillan would go with him. Two studs at this level. Fafita, an all-Pac-12 quarterback. And McMillan, uh, I think he's a top couple-round draft pick. I, I don't exactly know his draft grade, but he's a stud. But they're both staying in Arizona. This was reported by Justin Spears about three hours ago in relation to what Angie's uh, Andy's reporting, or texted in. He's the beat writer for the Tucson, uh, the Tucson Star. Arizona had a players-only meeting that was led by Noah Fafita and McMillan. And Arizona receivers coach uh, uh, Kevin Cummings played and coached under Brent Brennan, who I, by the messaging of that, I would assume he's staying and that they like him. So if Fafita and T-Mac are still there, then that's that's big. Because the, then the University of Washington is losing Michael Penix to the NFL draft. They thought they had the replacement next season in Will Rogers. And he's back in the portal looking for his next home. He'll have some suitors. I'm sure he's the SEC's all-time leading passer. And then people, I, I think most of us just assume that Fafita would follow Jed Fish to Washington. And it makes sense. Fafita has two or three years left in college football, depending on how they view, uh, NFL evaluators view him. He is a little short. Uh, but if Fafita didn't feel like he needed to follow Fish to Washington, then Jed Fish, I, it's a tough position to be in. The portal's closed right now. There's still guys out there that are available to transfer, for all, but all the best ones are gone. And you're going to have to wait for the next one to open up in April. And there, there's just not that as many open at that point. And that, that's a tough that's a tough thing to do. And remember, the University of Washington is going to be paying Jed Fish an average of a little under $8 million a year. He's not cheap in any sense. And his buyout especially is not very much. I think it's $12 million this year, $10 million next year. I think it goes down by about $2 million each year. So that's a huge development. That's insane. It shows you that you know just because – Coaches go somewhere else. They don't always bring all their players with them because when a coach like Jed Fish, uh, who we assumed had a pretty strong culture there at Arizona, he had quite the turnaround, he was a good recruiter, etc., brings all of his guys in uh, and then leaves at the drop of a hat in 48 hours for Washington, well, it, it, that doesn't... It doesn't it's not a, a very ringing endorsement, really, when when you can't get guys to come play for you, and certainly a a, a chance at a, a chance at not a Big Ten title because Washington's not going to win a Big Ten title, but pro- a little bit better exposure than Arizona's going to get in the Big Twelve next year. But instead, if those guys stay at Arizona, they're probably still going to be in the top half of the Big Twelve, and that's that's pretty crazy. And I, back to the whole fish thing, I think the thing that rubbed me wrong the most and the uh, to back to Andy's points about uh, about Dick Fein saying he didn't like the transactional nature of college football. Well, the fact that I saw that Jed Fish only had uh, about a three minute exit meeting with his team, three minutes to tell the team he was leaving and then he was gone, and that just doesn't sound sounds a little disheartening. The phone is ringing. I will let whoever's calling in knowing I'm running everything today, so. Please call back during the break. I can pick it up then. We can get you on here in our final segment of this Tuesday Joe Beaver show. So, 
Uh, I mean, that just like kind of rubbed me the wrong way, right? Like three minutes and Jed Fish probably walked into these guys' living rooms when he's recruiting them and pitching them on family and culture and staying in Tucson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then when he, when there was an option to leave, he did. Although I did see that he gave Arizona every option to match the offer of UW and they didn't. They, I don't even think they went, they increased that much. I, 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 George Reister, by the way, if you guys want to learn a little bit more about this, he put out a YouTube video on his channel last night, uh, and he did a, a very good job of breaking down the situation. It sounded like he's he's well-sourced and had some details. that Jed Fish was willing to stay at Arizona for like $5 million if they just did that, and, and they didn't because his base salary is a little bit lower before he left. So that was crazy. So he ended up leaving anyways. But just a three-minute exit conversation for Jed Fish is – it's just kind of – they what you walk in there and you preach family and all this all this stuff and then you leave. And some of those guys who he preached family to don't get the invite to come to Washington. Of course, Fafita and McMillan are guys that get the option to go to Washington, but not everyone does. Just like not everyone on the Oregon State roster got the invite to go to East Lansing. No, I'd say a majority of them didn't. And it stinks. Because it just feels like you're getting lied to. And I think that's a thing a lot of recruits have to be very careful of nowadays is a coach watch, walks into the living room and, and says all these things to get you to commit when some of them, given the option, would very easily go right past that. And it sucks. And it sucks. And I think that's what a lot of people here hope Trent Bray does and means and wants to stay and, and really ingrains himself here. Because uh, I can almost assure you if Trent Bray wins nine games here at Oregon State, there are going to be offers on the table for double or triple his current salary. And that's up to Trent to decide what he wants to do and and living up to that. And I hope he stays. I hope for everyone's sake here he stays. Off of his text and his call earlier said, you know, uh, Jonathan Smith broke my heart. I'm not letting anyone else do that again. Meaning Trent Bray's great. But I got to understand this is entirely possible in this nature of college football. Entirely possible. And as, mu- as much as Trent could say, who's going to, like, who can say no to tripling your current salary? Who can say no to that? Anybody out there say no to a tripling your current salary? I, I, <laughs> I haven't met them yet. I haven't met them if, that, if that's going to be the case. Also, uh, credit to whoever got the recording in of Kalen DeBoer's exit meeting. Whew. That was cringy, listening to that, acting like you don't have a choice. I mean, I, certainly not the case. You, there is always a choice. There is always a choice. You can go find that on YouTube, by the way. It's still floating around out there. I don't know who recorded it, but somebody in Washington's exit uh, exit meeting with the players, which I think I saw only 25% of players showed up to. Not sure how solid that is, but that's what I saw. Someone recorded it and put it on YouTube and – Ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure coaches are glad a lot of those meetings aren't public because it's it just doesn't sound great. Okay, Phil Miller texting in, as a Beaver season ticket holder for nearly 35 years, I'm thinking the NFL ownership of any college football team would cause me to lose interest in spending money and time on the sport. As a taxpayer, it would be wonderful to have private business pay coaches. We're paying three ex-UO coaches nearly uh, $100,000 per month in retirement benefits. So wouldn't so Phil let's let me let me dissect this a little bit further. So if they could 
certainly separate from the state. Like, wouldn't that wouldn't that be better? Because it, that's one of maybe not the biggest expense of taxpayers, because there are a lot of things that cost a lot of money. But in terms of sports and public money used for sports, unless the Blazers are going to get a new arena, college football coaching salaries are certainly are certainly up there. I mean, these guys are Dan Lanning's probably the highest paid public employee of the state. I wouldn't say probably he is. I don't need to even need to look that up. So it'd be a good thing, right? Like, so you say as a taxpayer, it'd be wonderful to have private business businesses pay coaches. Yeah. So wouldn't it be even better if private businesses took over the, uh, I, I don't know if it's the biggest expenditure, but it, it might be uh, the biggest cost out of pocket directly into someone else's pocket sports wise in the state. I think. I know a lot of private money was used for Research Stadium, a lot of a lot of crowdsourcing and such, which, you know, you could say also is taxpayer money because instead of going to taxes, it's just going directly to the stadium. But regardless, it's coming out of the public's pocket, not out of someone with a significant amount of wealth's pocket. But it but Phil, you're you're right that I, I think you make two good points. Yes, it would it would make people lose interest in the sport because this is not the sport people signed up for, especially people who have been as fans as long as you have. But taking the cost of paying, uh, you know, paying for Trent Bray and his coaching staff, paying for Dan Lanning, paying retirement benefits, paying for uh, golf course memberships, all these things, yeah, that would be great. Why can't someone with a billion dollars do that instead? They have more money than the rest of us do combined. That would be great. Why not? So thank you for that text, Phil. And Merle Jr., uh, Merle Jr., I do really appreciate that text. Thank you for that. Let's take our final break of this Joe Beaver show. If you'd like to call in, now would be the time to do it. 541-497-5356. Call in the Downward Dog phone line. Text on the University Honda text line. It's been a pleasure sitting in for Mike Parker and John Warren. We'll be back to close out the Joe Beaver show after this on Joe Radio. Wrapping it up here on a Tuesday, TJ Matthewson sitting in for Mike Parker and John Warren. If you're out driving around the Mid-Valley today, we've got some more snow coming in over the next few hours. I'd be careful out there on the road. Hopefully, we get most of it melted away tomorrow when it gets back into the 40s. Last opportunity to text or call into this show, 541-497-5356. The Downward Dog phone line, the University Honda text line. Man, what a weekend has been in college football. Certainly plenty to talk about today. Paul has called in on the Downward Dog phone line. Let's check in with Paul. How you doing, Paul? Hello, KJ. Well, I'm out driving around. My car handles this pretty well. What's good? uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I gotta gotta call out Mr. Parker, but I guess going to Albany would be a real tough, wouldn't it? Just a little bit. I, I made the trek from Philomath. The, the The main roads are good, so that's that's how my car survived. Which, you know, if it snows enough, the drive back might not be so certain. I mean, Highway Twenty is pretty good. You mean the Highway Thirty Four? Yeah, Thirty Four, and then it turns Highway Thirty Four and Twenty going to one uh, once I keep going. Right, right. Well, hey, about the Washington deal. I was uh, just happened to be looking at the at the transfer portal, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Washington's lost 10 players since uh, DeBoer left. And, yeah, and I, I think the numbers are a little bit lower than I expected, to be honest. It, and it, hel- and it, it helps 
the number is, uh, I don't know how to frame this, because they were going to lose a lot of guys regardless if he stayed, right? Because they, they had a lot of six-year guys. They were really old roster, um, and a lot of the guys were going to go to the NFL too. So even um, so, I, I think regardless, they, they were going to be in a tough spot. Well, they only have one starter on the offense and three on the defense that played in the championship game. That's all they got left. It's pretty brutal, and I, I, I don't think Jed Fish is going to be there long enough to really replenish much. I don't think. Right, that's all. That is well, something we- right there that you need. Like you need three years. To, to really build back that depth, but that's not going to be the case. Well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how far on the bottom they are in the Big Ten next year. That, that will be a, a sight to behold, and then we can call Softy and we can laugh at him. <laughs> yeah, that, that, would, uh, that wouldn't be a terrible option. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, uh, have a good one. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow probably. All right, appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Paul. Four nine seven five three five six. Let's take a look at the University Honda text line. A question coming in: Why would anyone want to follow Nick Saban? You know, that's a good question, and I think that's what a lot of people asked Kalen DeBoer when he when he took that job. Because you go to a from a place where ten wins is a great season, and people are lauding you and happy, et cetera, et cetera. Where if you win ten games at Alabama, you get fired after two seasons of only winning 10 games in a conference that you're now the second best program in clearly that's tough that is tough that's a good question but anyone who i would say a lot of people have the mentality to challenge themselves and to really to really put their foot down and and be like I'm not scared of anything and if you, if you, I'll say, if you stick in the mindset of saying, I'm never going to top this, then that's a bad mindset to have because then you're essentially surrendering to uh, surrendering to pressure. And I, I don't think anyone, especially at the level of effort it takes to operate in college football today, I mean, people sniff that out. I mean, they sniff out weakness, they sniff out vulnerabilities, and your players see it, your coaches see it, and it might lead to people leaving. It, it stinks, but someone's got to do it. I mean, someone's got to do it. Let's see here. Uh, another text. Uh, I have a call coming in, but I, I, I can't answer it. I appreciate the caller coming in. We, we're winding down time here, but uh, appreciate it. Call back tomorrow. Uh, we'll have the Joe Beaver Show, myself and John, tomorrow, uh, right here from 11 to 1. Let's see. Uh, Merle Jr. adding in. You hit it right on the head. Andy and I have discussed. Fish is a two-year max rental, and then we'll be at Florida. I mean, Florida could be open next year, and Florida, with the money they have, could easily buy him out of his contract, which I think as of next year, if, he, if it goes past January, I think it's till January, I think it's January 6th of next season, his buyout's 12, and then it drops to 10. But regardless, I think the University of Florida can afford that. Comment on two subjects. Uh, have seen reports that Joshua Gray is returning for one more year. I have not seen also seen reports that Cookus is not being retained. I've also not seen that. Do I have any insight confirmation on those topics? I know to you guys that would certainly be an impactful topic, but I have not seen that. No dates on the schedule. Getting annoyed. How are fans, families, and players supposed to plan to attend games right now? It's an issue. It's a good question. Um, 
that hinges, as we know, it, it, it waits, we wait on television time. So I think the dates on, do the dates on the Mountain West side of the schedule have date, uh, have times yet? Maybe not kickoff times, but they have dates. I would imagine. I, sp- the, I guess we'll see. Um, well, we will. And the home games, you know, we're still to be determined, right? Because there's still nothing for the, the games to air on. So those are good points. Uh, we can check. I'll check in on those when we're done wrapped up with the show, and uh, we can get back to that tomorrow, Merle. If you want to call or, or text us tomorrow, myself and John, we can touch on those subjects uh, and see if we have anything else to uh, to dig up. But that'll be good. Having Joshua Gray back for another season would be awesome. I know he was projected middle rounds as a guard, which is no slouch. I mean, that's still a good chunk of change, and you're almost certain to make an NFL roster as a as a mid round pick as a guard. An offensive lineman these days do make a significant amount of money, and Joshua Gray goes to the NFL, does really well as a guard, and he can be a very, very rich guy. So that would be cool. Uh, that would be cool if he could come back. And that, would, that would be a huge impact to the depth of Oregon State's offensive line if he could return for another season. But we'll, we'll have to see. I'll look into that, Merle. Appreciate that. Final 90 seconds of the program. Uh, let's see. Text here, Dave Heek, I think is how you pronounce it, stuck in Pullman with the basketball team, trying to negotiate with Fish over the phone. Tough position to be in for an athletic director. So not only, you're right, Texter, thank you for that. So not only are they in financial trouble, but the AD is stuck in Pullman in the snow while the Washington athletic director, Troy Dannon, could hop on a private jet and fly directly down to Tucson and be in Jed Fish's house while the Arizona athletic director is stuck in Pullman. It's a cold world out there, guys. It is, it's cold that that can happen. But this is what happens. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the Joe Beaver Show. Appreciate all of you for tuning in wherever you might have tuned in from. Uh, appreciate Chris King, the voice of the Idaho Vandals, for joining me here today to talk a little bit about Giovanni McCoy. That was, uh, Really fun, and I really enjoyed that. If you're driving around, be safe. Watch out for the ice. Hopefully it all melts away for tomorrow. Uh, For everyone here at the station, I'm TJ Mathewson. We'll be right back here at 11 o'clock tomorrow on the Joe Beaver Show.